face. <laughs> you notice the latent corporal in me comes out? Every time I get up on a stage and I look down on a crowd of guys, I don't know what it is. Deep down inside of me, there's this little urge. Straighten them up. <laughs> Issue some details. I'm an ex-corporal who dealt with details at one day in my career. And, you know, just once, I'd like to holler. Can you imagine hollering out over the radio? I holler, all right, you guys. Thousands of guys are listening out there now, see. All right, you guys. In just five minutes, we're going to have a full field inspection. And also, we're going to have another inspection. The medical officer will be here. <laughs> Uniform will be helmet liners, raincoats, and GI shoes, and dog tags. And then ten minutes after that, I want to see nothing but elbows and... <laughs> I, can, I can already see 40,000 XGIs driving along in their car. They say, he ain't going to say it. <laughs> That's right, fellas. Chickened out again. Oh, yeah, you know, these, these, these urges and desires, like the other day, I'm watching TV, you know, and we've got, down at the station, you know, we've got this big color monitor. All this stuff comes in. And all of a sudden, on comes an announcement. You know that, have you ever seen these great recruiting announcements that show two guys? One of them says to the other, how come you're so happy, Charlie? I can't stand it. The other was saying, off we go into the wild blue yonder. He says, gee, quit singing that song. I can't understand why you're so happy. Off we go, into the da cha cha da la cha chee The first says, all right, come on, Charlie, what are you singing for? Of course, the basic premise is that nobody is happy unless he's in the army. <laughs> A questionable premise. <laughs> having, experienced, having experienced both states. And so, at the end, the guy says, well, you see, I've decided to re-up. You know what re-up is? I can see you didn't buy it. <laughs> well, you know, he says, I've decided to re-up, and I can go back into the service, and I can choose my, my career, and I can go back in my old job if I want to. And I'm going back and use the old skills that I learned back there in the service, and it's gone. And you see, then, a quick shot of a service school. You see these guys sitting with earphones, looking very dynamic. You know, looking very concerned and involved. And they're writing stuff down. And the announcer says, yes, the new army is a technical army, an army of trained technicians, and you can be part of them. I watch this. <laughs> you know, gee, just think how it would be if I went down and decided to re-up. Get my old job back in the grease trap, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I could use the old skills I learned. I ain't nobody. I defy anybody in this room. There is no one in this room that can clean a GI can like I can. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I am one of the most experienced L.O.'s <laughs> to come out of the entire U.S. Army. Now, all of you have heard of KPs. Well, KP is greasy kid stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, KP is just washing dishes, you know, and walking around. But L.O. 
There's where you learn something about the basic math. You learn about life, you know, a lot of other things. And I put my old skills back to use. I thought about that for a minute. Then I, you know, and then I thought about those guys with those earphones. Now, you know, almost all army novels, almost without exception, are written about, oh, the infantry. Now, how, who is in the infantry? Always, as, as you see them on the old movies, Mickey Rooney is always in the infantry. Oh, yeah, you know, Mickey Rooney's always a private. James Whitmore was always a sergeant. I've never seen Whitmore play a PFC or a lieutenant. The lieutenant is always Van Johnson. And he's always a friendly, soft lieutenant who joins this company, and they hate him because he replaced their beloved officer. But we know that they will love him in the end. And then there is another sergeant. It's Sidney Poitier. He will save the Southern PFC. <laughs> you know, who keeps making rotten, you know, statements like, yeah, you call yourself a sergeant, eh? And we know that in the end, when the shot and shell is heavier, Sydney will crawl up that, crawl up that hill and save that Southern vomit. <laughs> and the Southern vomit will be made a captain. And Sydney will get a pat on the back from Van Johnson. And then on will come the Preparation H commercial. <laughs> Making the final editorial comment on the whole thing. <laughs> Has it ever occurred to you that the commercials make comments on what's going on? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just got it. <laughs> it's a mouthwash, honey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You know, and, and, and I, I watched... <laughs> what a rotten mind you've got over there. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm watching this commercial, you see, and I see these guys with earphones. And I've never seen a novel, ever, ever read a novel or even a short story about that kind of soldier. You know, the guy with the earphones writing stuff down. It's always about a soldier charging the pillbox. Either that or it's about Preston Foster, a young... That movie, of course, made 150 years ago. He is a young air cadet. And his instructor is Alan Ladd. And they're both flying this twin-engine bomber. And back in the hole there where they keep the bombs, Veronica Lake is hidden. <laughs> Very realistic pictures, you know. I, you've seen that one over and over again. Never once do they ever show you a movie about the way it really is in the technical army. And I'm going to tell you how it is. I was in Company K. It was a radar company. I'm very technically involved. We were all issued slide rules. We really were. <laughs> Sounds funny. We all had slide rules. And I can remember when we'd sing the Signal Corps song. And they would sing... The signal corps is for all good things. Raise your slide rolls to the sky. <laughs> you know, it was so sad to get into the signal corps and they issue you your uniforms and their surplus. <laughs> we got all worn out helmets. Yeah, the signal corps is a very forgotten unit. And they give us these old helmets. So I, 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 got a, I, got a, I got a uniform jacket 
that had a hole in the shoulder blade. And it exactly, it exactly fitted. It was exactly the same diameter as an 88 millimeter anti-aircraft shell. <laughs> His digging technique wasn't quick enough. Yeah, and by the way, I, I suspect also that his little medical kit that they assigned to him was insufficient. <laughs> oh, yeah, they gave us a... Yeah, well, seriously, have you ever wondered what soldiers... When you... Most of you civilian types, and you see the average soldier, he's sitting there, you know. Yeah, typical. You know, you see, him, you see him on the Walter Cronkite nightly news. They're sitting like this all the time, and there's a guy with a microphone. There he sits. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'd like to get home. And Cronkite keeps wanting him to say things like, yes, I would like to get back to Griffith, Indiana, where life is rich and full, where there's nothing like standing on a Saturday night in front of the bowling alley and watching for the only girl in town to walk past. <laughs> you know, the average, guy, the average guy that goes in the Army is not really sad that he's in. I mean, he makes a lot of noise about it, but secretly inside, there's a little voice that says, At last! Now, legally, you can get out of this hole! That's the home, see? Now, the hole can be all kinds of things. It can be cleaning the old man's car every Sunday morning. And so the typical GI is shown sitting here. He's got little things all over him. You notice that? Belts. He's got things, straps. Well, what are those things? Wonder what's in them? Well, there's one that's right here, see. Look for it on the next film you see. It's a little square thing. And that is the medical kit. The little tiny one. You open it up, and there's this Band-Aid comes out. <laughs> Not kidding, you know. It's got, it's got penicillin on it or some little Band-Aid. And, and there used to be comments in Company K as to what would happen if you did get hit with an 88. <laughs> you know, and your arm is off. <laughs> Put your little thing on there. Sergeant says, see, good training helps. <laughs> well, that's typical of the kind of stuff you get, you see. So I'm in Company K, and for two and a half years, we've been working with our radar set. And all of us were trained to the eyeballs. Now, we weren't trained to do anything except keep this monster going, which was this great big radar set. And every night, the thing would start looking. <laughs> And as we would watch it, the dipole antennas would droop. And as the dipoles droop, the damn thing went out of tune. Till eventually all we could get was a test pattern. Once in a while, we'd get the police calls. All the years that we worked with, with this monster, which they told us cost $2.9 million, we never picked up one thing even once in an air raid. <laughs> you know, and the captain kept saying, there's nothing on the scope, so stay at your positions. And at that time, they were bombing our truck. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> this is the truth, you know. Gasser kept saying, to hell with this! Look, look! <laughs> These planes are going, wow! <laughs> The captain says, according to our technical manual, they will appear on the lower left-hand periphery of the center azimuth scope. Look, Shepard. Nothing. 
I said, there's nothing here. He says, well, then there ain't nothing there. And the pole's formation is going over. Well, see, that's the problem with a technical civilization. You begin to depend on it, totally, to the point where you just don't believe your eyes. The reality means nothing. It's what the data means. In fact, you know, <laughs> I've wondered about computers. Have you noticed that every week now they have a big thing that says computer selects winner in heavyweight bout? And they haven't yet done it. I wonder when the first computer is going to take on the second one. You know, you know, the two of them are fighting it out there and there's an announcer calling it. But this is what was beginning to happen in Company K. The switch from reality to our big baby. And by the way, our radar's name was Emily. Somehow we felt if we called it Emily, it would like us. Going around night after night, night after night, and all of a sudden, without any warning, after two and a half years of work in the radar field, an order came down from somewhere up in Olympus. God only knows where that is. These orders come drifting down like snow. One day, the captain called us all out. Two and a half years. And there we're standing. Company K. Gassers on this side. Zinsmeisters over here. Our dog tags are green with the crud that grows on them. By the way, you know, when they asked me my religion, I had a devil of a time. You know, I went in, guy says, what's your religion? I said, well, I'm not a religious man. You know, and on your dog tags, they have your name, and your serial number, your blood type, and your religion. It's marked with the one little letter, see, you know. And I said, well, I'm not really a religious man. He said, well, what do you believe in? How can I say Orphan Annie? <laughs> <laughs> that would look awful on a dog tag, really. You know, he's a fan of Orphan Annie. So when he gets blown up, give him the problem. You know, bury him with his secret decoder pin. <laughs> you know, and the guy keeps asking me what my religion is, and finally I says, ah, Druid. <laughs> I thought I was being funny. <laughs> you know, he says, you're a what? I said, Druid. He said, okay, i never seen that one, clunk, clunk. <laughs> and for three and a half years, I carried a dog tag that said D on it. <laughs> and all the other guys in my company, when any one of their holidays came up, you know, Christmas, Passover, New Year's, all of it, they're off. And there were no records of a druid holiday. <laughs> so I was always on KP on Christmas, you know, and all that stuff. <laughs> Except that one day, I'll never forget this day, you know, we're all standing in line down there, and the first sergeant calls me, and he says, Shepard, he said, I understand you're a druid. <laughs> I said, yes. Said, well, I, I, I read in a book that the druids are about to celebrate the great oak tree day. I said, yes. I'm glad you care. I said, every year at this same time when the 
high moon gets into juxtaposition with Jupiter and casts a shadow upon Stonehenge. <laughs> we all gather and read a mass. I says, it's printed on the sacred birch bark scroll. He says, yeah? That sounds like an interesting religion. It's, well, you know, it's one of the oldest. I don't like to talk about it. Guys have a tendency to laugh about your religion. I'm, I'd like to celebrate the great oak tree, though, if you don't mind. That's a seven-day holiday, you know. <laughs> and they celebrate it in New York. the only temple we got, you know, in the United States. It's in Central Park next to the ice skating rink there, in a, you know, in a hole in the ground there. So we, he says, is that so? I said, yes. They said, well, okay. He said, you know, we'll have to post it. Well, you know, when they post it, that means that they put up on the bulletin board a notice, see? You know, like every Christmas says, all Christians who celebrate Easter will register at the orderly room to obtain your Easter passes. Or all people in this command who celebrate Passover register at the orderly room for your passes. He said, we'll have to post it. I said, okay. I said, but I'm the only one I know. He says, regulations. So, you know, the day comes up and I go down there to get my pass and there are 74 guys. They're carrying wooden acorns. <laughs> little skulls. The first sergeant says, well, you're the, you're, you're the only guy I know that's the druid. He said, I guess, why don't you go down and hold the services? <laughs> you, know, every, you know, every religion has its own chaplain. He says, we couldn't get a hold of the druid in this command. So we held it in the pool room. <laughs> Gasser and all of them there, see? And I said, fellas, fellow druids. And I, and I know that all religion, you've got to have some kind of ritual, see? And I was ad-libbing. So I said, I said, I will go down to the mess hall. By the way, if you don't know anything about the druid religion, stick, hang around. You'll hear a little bit about it because I created it. Yeah, I was the beginning of the whole thing, see. And so I, I, I somehow had an idea that the Druids celebrate nature. And so I had, I thought in my mind, well, I better, I better give them something to celebrate. And so I went down to the mess hall, and I got from the mess sergeant a great big two-pound jar of Skippy chunk-style peanut butter. You know, it's a natural product. And so I set up on the pool room there. I said, Gasser and... Edwards, fellow Druids, in five minutes we will celebrate the mass of the peanut butter. <laughs> and Gas says, gee, that's a good religion. <laughs> you know, and I'm ad-libbing this thing, and then I realize, of course, also, you've got to have some kind of ritual that goes with it. So I said, in hoc agricola conch, <laughs> in est spittle lauk which, by the way, was our, my high school slogan. 
which means we'll never beat Roosevelt High. That <laughs> was our slogan. Well, do you know, ever since that day, on every November 17th, I get a phone call from one or another all day long at the, at the station. I get calls from ex-members of Company K. And that was, by the way, the day we celebrated our little celebration. And they call up and they say, would you please give me the sacrament over the phone? <laughs> yes, I say, in hoc, agricula conch. <laughs> and we feel good about it, you know, there's a little thing. And so now I am registered in the War Department, in the Defense Department, as the only registered druid. Yeah, and you, you ought to see the mail I get. I don't know how that stuff gets out. I get things like, a dear fellow believer. And it's printed on parchment with blood. Yeah, you get on all kinds of mailing lists. Well, Company K, you see, had been together so long that we all knew each other intimately. I mean, the whole world was built around Emily and around this hum that this machine made. One day, Lieutenant Cherry calls us out. We're standing there. Two and a half years we've been in this, you know, in this little company. We're waiting to see what further obscenities he can think of, what, what more he can heap on us. You know, this second lieutenant, I mean, he grew and finally in stature to become a first lieutenant. But our lieutenant, what he worked, he worked in sadism, the way other artists work in marble. He used to just work it. And so Company K is out there waiting. Got our GI shorts on. We had our, we all, we all, each one of us for three years had been cultivating heat rash. It was a hobby. You know, and you just feel, you love to scratch it. It feels good, you know. And I had heat rashes start about three feet above my head. You can just, all the way down, you know, and I had sulfur salve all over me. And the dog tags are hanging in there green. And Emily is humming away. And the captain is walking around in front of us. I said, men's. At ease, men's. I have a very important announcement that I must make. I have just received orders from Army Headquarters that radar is no longer going to be in the Signal Corps. You know, it was like getting orders that you're going to be transferred to heaven. He said, the Signal Corps will no longer be in charge of radar and all men who are in radar will be, from now on, in the Air Force. <laughs> That's what they make movies about. I mean, we could just see all of Company K marching around, singing, off we go, in a wild blue yonder, and we're going to get those little wings and all that stuff. And then, we're, then they're going to start giving out rank. There was always that thing in the Signal Corps that in other places in the Army, they actually made guys corporal. Once in a while, a guy would rise up to be a captain or lieutenant. In our outfit, a PFC was the equivalent of a lieutenant colonel. <laughs> in any other sane outfit. Oh, yeah, we had, we, we had, we had PFCs that were in charge of entire divisions. I'm not kidding, you know. So, so rank was something we never... Oh, it was always terrible. You know, three years in the Army. 
and I write home to my mother that I just made PFC. And I was so proud of it. You know, I remember going down and buying my stripes, my little green stripes, you know, and I sewed them on with gold thread. And I even had them hooked to a battery in my pocket. <laughs> I pressed the button and they light up, you know. It was so great. I'd sit with my arms like this all the time, and I had them, I had them on my pajamas. Oh, the whole thing. And I used to... I had them on an armband, so when I'm taking a shower, you know. I can remember writing home and saying, Ma, I'm now PFC. So when you write letters, it is now PFC. That's private first class. And she writes back and says, Congratulations. I can't understand, though, why Jack Morton is a colonel. Jack Morton, who lived three blocks away and was the kind of kid that nobody ever picked for anything. You know the kind of guy who, whenever he is picked on a ball team, plays right field? He's a colonel. And I had to explain to her that I was in another army. I wrote her a letter and says, PFC in my army is actually the equivalent of a lieutenant colonel. PFC. And so here we are now standing in front of our radar set. And we're being transferred. We're being transferred out. And everybody thinks we're going to be made Air Corps. And the captain walks around, he says, all right, that means, men, we had a choice to make. Either the Signal Corps gives up a highly trained group of men like you, and all of you represent over $400 in training. That includes that $12 slide rule, which if you get caught stealing, it's your you-know-what. All of you represent work and trial and tribulation by the army we have a choice of giving you up or transferring you to the air force and there's one other choice retraining you which would you like that was rhetorical <laughs> it was not expected that company k was going to answer or stand he said well i knew what you'd like not one single one of you if you have the same feeling for the wonderful Signal Corps that I have, not one of you would tolerate being transferred out of the good old Signal Corps. <laughs> good God. Now what? No more radar. We hated radar, but whatever they were going to give us, we knew it was going to be worse. If the Air Corps wants radar, it's got to be better than what we're going to get. Now what? And we're putting trucks. And boy, there's nothing like a guy, you know, who's been on a job for years. All of a sudden, he's transferred. We're all sitting there worried. Where are we going? The gasser, you know, sharp on the ball gasser, says, well, just keep your mouth shut. Wherever you go, the only thing you got to tell them is your name, rank, and serial number. <laughs> and Edward says, but that means a prisoner of war. Gasser says, what the hell do you think you are? He was the philosophical one. <laughs> and I kept saying, what do you mean? You know, I didn't know anything. And sure enough, within five minutes, we are in this great big office. And there is sitting up there a brand sharp new second lieutenant, 12 years old. <laughs> he is four days out of Texas Dental Polytech, where he was the star in the ROTC. You could tell that kind of guy, real sharp lieutenants, 
He's got big bars that weigh four pounds each. His hair is shaved all the way to the top of his head. Miss Men. <laughs> his voice cracks, you know. Says, Men, what would you like to be in the army? What would we like to be in the army? He thought we were a new bunch of draftees. Gasser says, Sir, sir. He says, Yes. Yes, Private. Sir, we've been in the Army two and a half years now. We're all radar men. We're, there's over $400 worth of training in each one of us. <laughs> the lieutenant said, Well, men, you'll just have to pick another... <clears throat> you'll have to pick another... You'll have to pick another... Training schedule. <laughs> Can you imagine yourself following him through hell? <laughs> but so... Immediately following the news, now let's hear it, immediately following the news, I will tell you what obscenity the Army had in store for Company K. Let's hear it. Come on, let's hear it. Convention. Lindsay, back from his trip to the West Coast, stepped off the plane at Kennedy Airport tonight and went directly to a meeting with Chief State Mediator Vincent McDonald on a threatened citywide taxi strike. The cab driver's union has a mass meeting scheduled for Tuesday in its contract dispute with the fleet owners. The search of almost three weeks for the missing daughter of New York State Republican Chairman Charles Chenick has ended. 16-year-old Elizabeth Chenick has returned to her Syracuse home, and although the full details of her disappearance have not been released, the family spokesman says she's in good health. The slim, ash-blonde high school senior was last seen Halloween night and was the object of a widespread search that focused for a time on New York City's hippie East Village and stretched as far as Puerto Rico. In Vietnam, U.S. Navy jets have pounded five targets just above and below the North Vietnamese port of Haiphong, and Marine pilots have hit three enemy installations around Hanoi and storage areas 30 miles northeast of Haiphong. The U.S. command reports the loss of at least two planes and their pilots in the new raids over the north. In the ground war, fighting in the Dok To sector of South Vietnam's Central Highlands has broken off after a four-hour battle. U.S. military headquarters says two Americans died and 26 were wounded in the latest action. New York City police penned about 2,000 chanting demonstrators into one city block today and quelled a boisterous rally against the Soviet Union. The rally, staged by Ukrainian nationalists, began at Madison Square Garden and moved across town to the Russian mission to the United Nations on East 67th Street. In sports today, rookie Derek Sanderson came back from a first-period brawl tonight to score the tie-breaking goal and lead Boston to a 3-1 victory over the New York Rangers in their National Hockey League game at the Bruins' rink. To complete a clean sweep of New York teams, the Baltimore Bullets led virtually all the way to hang a 101-93 defeat on the Knicks in their NBA game at Madison Square Garden. In other National League hockey action, there were these scores, Chicago 2, Toronto 2, Philadelphia 2, Minnesota 1 at the end of two periods. The end of two periods, Pittsburgh 4, St. Louis 3. In the NBA, Boston 116, Philadelphia 111, Detroit 64, Chicago 61. That's a halftime score. Another halftime score, Los Angeles 60, St. Louis 57. At Yonkers Raceway, the feature race went to number 1A, Meadow Page. And the winning daily double combination was 4 and 5, Watermill Tiger and Shaw's Flash. In collegiate football, Southern California's Rose Bowl bound following its thrilling 21-20 victory this afternoon over UCLA. 
The dazzling running of O.J. Simpson, who scored the tying touchdown, and a clutch conversion place kick by Ricky Aldridge carried the Trojans to the Pacific Conference Championship. In games of interest to the W.O.R. listening area, these scores, Notre Dame 36, uh, Georgia Tech 3, Army 21, Pittsburgh 12, Navy 35, Vanderbilt 35, Penn State 35, Ohio University 14, Yale 29, Princeton 7, Cornell 24, Dartmouth 21. Syracuse, 32, Boston College, 20, Penn, 26, Columbia, 6, Harvard, 21, Brown, 6, Wagner, 13, Uppsala, nothing, Montclair State, 16, Delaware State, 3, and C.W. Post, 7, Vermont, nothing. In club football, Adelphi walloped LaSalle, 28 to nothing. Here's the weather forecast. Windy and colder, generally fair skies tonight and tomorrow. Tonight's low in the mid-30s, tomorrow's high in the low to mid-40s. Clear and colder tomorrow night, a low near 30. The outlook for Monday is for fair and continued cold with increasing cloudiness later in the day. Chance of rain 10% tonight and tomorrow, near zero tomorrow night, then 10% again on Monday. Right now in clear midtown Manhattan, the temperature 41 degrees, humidity 60%. Wind is from the southwest at 12, it's gusting to 23. The barometer 29.64 inches and is rising. That's the news at 11 from the WR Newsroom. Bruce Elliott reporting. Stay tuned now for more of the Gene Shepherd program. For free information and brochures on uh, current cultural programs and activities in the city, visit the New York City Cultural Information Center. It's at 148 West 57th Street near 7th Avenue. It's open Monday through Friday from 10 in the morning until 6 in the evening, or you may telephone Judson 25555. That's Judson 25555. This is WOR New York. Wait a minute, honey. Nobody whistles at an orgy. <laughs> Unless you know something we don't know. I... We'll need to try anything, you know. Holy smokes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I am looking down right now at this minute here in the limelight on a scene of such debauchery <laughs> as to make a man of goodwill sicken in his marrow of his bones. It's a sickening sight. It's a large lady standing on a table over near the ice machine, and she's carrying what appears to be at this distance the head of John the Baptist. <laughs> Actually, it's her old man Clarence. <laughs> A sickening thing, you know. It's terrible. Well, you know, speaking of sickening things, and the, you know, by the way, somebody here during the during the intermission, I'll have to continue that story because it builds into exactly what I'm driving at about the inexplicability of life. Now, now, life, we all know, you know. Let's face it. Now we're all in this together, right, gang? <laughs> Always one guy from among the bottom of the stools at the bar. Holly's right. You notice the people in the big timetables here look at you blankly? They ain't in nothing with you at all. Oh, no. They're the ones, they're the ones, I'm serious, week after week, they're at the giant games. Yeah, that's the in crowd. Week after week, they're at Shea Stadium watching the Jets. And week after week, we're where we are. The out crowd. You know, just walking around. You know, it's blacked out. And all we can do is go down to Needix. 
you know, is where the out crowd lives. Have you ever, you know, you've heard the term the beautiful people? Well, that must mean that the other crowd are the ugly people. How does it feel, gang? Let's give the ugly people a hand. Come on. Hey, what do you say all together now? We boo the beautiful people. Boo! They're all sitting up there at Sardi's right now. You know, they're at Sardi's. They got those shades on. There's a whole crowd of them up there at Arthur's. And they're, you know, the behind is going. You know, and where are we? The limelight. Sitting there eating piccalilli. All right, all together now, let's give those beautiful people a big rousing boo. Boo! <laughs> Does that feel better? But you notice you're still at the limelight. Doesn't do you any good, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, you see, you find rank all over life, no matter where you go. I mean, there's nothing worse than rank, and it's, it's everywhere. I remember I'm in the Army, see, me and Gasser and Edwards, and we're walking past the BOQ. Now, the BOQ is the Bachelor Officer's Quarters, and that's kind of, at, at least on our post, it was kind of a Taj Mahal. I mean, oh, yeah, you could just see it. It was, it was painted. I mean, that itself gave it some kind of class. You should have seen the tents that we lived in. Yeah, we lived in these little obscenities called pyramidal tents. I mean, ever since that time, guys have been trying to talk me into camping. Oh, yeah, you know, and any time some camping nut comes around and says, Gee, Shep, I'll tell you, there is nothing more exciting than camping. Why, the, set, the, the feeling of lying there in the ground with nothing but a thin piece of canvas between you and the Big Dipper. I know that son of a gun. I wish radio was grown up. I could call him what he really is. I mean, you know, you see these guys over at Abercrombie and Fitch, and they're walking around, there's the camping department, and they have all these beautiful tents, zippers all up and down the sides, little air conditioning units blowing stuff in. Oh, yeah. So, some tents today have even got bars built in them. Oh, the whole thing, see. And once in a while, I sneak into Abercrombie and Fitch. I'm passing, see. Because, you know, Abercrombie and Fitch, friends, is strictly officer's company. This is officer's territory. And I sneak up there and I walk around and look at those tents, see. But then I get in the elevator and I see the guys that buy them, these big, tall, red-faced guys. They've got these beautiful coats with fur collars. They've got these Russian Astrakhan hats on. You know, and I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my trench coat from Robert Hall. You know, <laughs> the one that comes with the built-in leaks. You know, it saves a lot of work on your part. And I'm, I'm, I'm waiting, you know, for that day. But every time we used to walk past BOQ, Gasser would look over there. I would look over there. Edwards would look. We'd walk past. We'd watch and we'd see the lieutenants once in a while go by the windows. And Gasser would say, you know, Shep, I understand. Now, I, it's hard to believe 
But I understand them guys have got coat hangers. <laughs> We'd stand there, you know, look. And then Edwards would say, and not only that, I understand that they got more than three suits of underwear. And then, of course, it always occurred to me that they never used it. <laughs> Somehow they lived in a life where none of that kind of stuff was necessary, you know. Oh, yeah, we'd walk, you know, we'd walk past, oh, once in a while we'd walk past, we'd see the officer's mess hall. It was so beautiful. You could see they had, they had tablecloths. And they actually had knives and forks. And then you used to see our mess hall. Now, our mess hall was a long shed made out of four sticks in the wood, you know, wood in the ground, long shed, and in the middle of it was a great big long trough. <laughs> the KPs would pour stuff in it. We would all line up. <laughs> and you know, it, oh yeah, of course they had special food for those troughs. I remember SOS was served. They just pour it in there like that. The guy would take a great big tub of oatmeal and pour it in, would mix all up, you know, and then they would put the powdered eggs on top of that. And he'd just say, well, how come powdered eggs on top of the SOS? He'd say, well, we're not going to have time for breakfast tomorrow. Might as well have it now. You know, they'd mix the jello and the ice cream with it. You'd take your little mess can, you know, your little mess kit. You'd sit. You had a great big spoon. You know, they figured that most GIs that were under the rank of tech sergeant were not housebroken. So they didn't give us a We had a big spoon. I remember sitting there with this big spoon, like that, looking around, my mess kit's hanging like this. And about every, oh, I'd say about every two weeks, my mess kit would go like this. I've got it all full of SOS, see. Well, you know, you get used to anything. Uh, it's raining on me, see. And Edwards is sitting there next to me. He's spooning in the jello. And then my crummy mess kit would do this. I'm sitting, see. And then it would go, oop. Now I got a knee that is nicely iced with SOS. <laughs> well, what do you do? You got a choice. You eat Yeah, that's right, honey. <laughs> oh, I ate more dinners. I remember Thanksgiving dinner at Company K. Now, you always hear about Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving is coming up Thursday, and there are millions of GIs are going to have their Thanksgiving. I'll tell you how Thanksgiving actually works in the Army. What? Oh, her girdle's tight. I see. <laughs> Hear her giggling over there. Well, I, I, you know, every one of these holidays would come up, see, and there would be excitement would go through Company K. Big, big excitement, see. And uh, always the question was, who's going to get to pass? There was a rule that one-third of the company always had to remain on duty during all the major holidays. And that's still true, by the way. And so there was about a month before there was a big holiday. Everybody in Company K would drift apart. Look at each other. 
suspicious. You know that, is he going to be the one that's going to get out? Am I going to be stuck here? Oh, no. We'd shift around. We'd wait in the mess hall line. Nobody's talking. It's getting tense. It's getting more nervous as day after day goes by. And now it is two days before Thanksgiving. And at noon, they are to announce who is getting the pass. We're waiting. It's now 11.30. They blow the, they blow the bugle for chow. How many of you know what the bugle call for chow is? Let's hear it. Hey, li listen to it. Shh. Uh, do you remember the words to that? There are words to that. If I ever used those words, I would be off the radio for the next thousand years. Oh, yeah, there are words to all the bugle calls. You ought to hear the word, you know, the one, the charge song, you know, ta-da, you know that one? You ought to hear the actual words to that. It is quite the opposite of charge. And it has something to do with the officers. It's a word of advice. <laughs> Think a little bit, friends. There he got it. Well, I'll tell you what it is. It was darn you, Lieutenant. <laughs> and so, you know, two days before, everybody's nervous and excited. And so they blow chow call, you know, at noon. They were going to post it down on the bulletin. Everybody's too excited to eat. Well, it wasn't anything. You weren't missing much. But everybody's excited and everybody's getting all dressed up because today we're going to have a half a day off because it was going to be a three-day holiday for those guys that were getting the pass, a three-day pass that was good through Thanksgiving. And you just don't know how a pass feels when you have been 11 months in the boondocks. <laughs> I mean, we grew boondocks. We had a boondock garden. Our place, I'll tell you, it, big excitement, a typical big excitement. Boredom was so, was so much, so palpably a part of our lives that boredom, you could swim through it. You'd go down through the company street, all these little tents, and you'd find yourself thrifting. Your mind has been turned off for 18 months. There's not even a faint buzz. You know, you just year after year goes by. And you'd sit there, you know, and you could sit in your tent. You'd sit on your footlocker. You're off. We used to work four hours on the radar set and four hours off. And you'd get off of duty, see, your four hours. Like, say, at noon, you're going to be off till four. And you'd walk in, you'd sit down on your footlocker. This is the real army, friends. No kidding. You'd sit in your footlocker. And you'd sit there and you'd watch the guy on the footlocker opposite you. <laughs> Polish his belt buckle. <laughs> and he is polishing automatically. He has been polishing his belt buckle since he was inducted at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, three and a half years before. And that's all he does. He has worn out 24 buckles. He just keeps polishing. 
And sitting over here on that footlocker is the letter writer. Yeah. And every army, there's one poor son of a gun. I mean, in every outfit, he's gray. He's the, yeah, he's the kind of guy nobody ever talks to. He talks to nobody. And his uniforms are always kind of lumpy. And to prove that he does not like the army at all, he never gets them cleaned. So his collars turn up. He's the little quiet gray man. And all through his army career, he's bent over this tablet, writing, eternally writing. Oh, he's writing. And you watch him for a while. You watch the guy polish his belt buckle. Then you look over here, and Edwards, Edwards was a shoe man. Now, there are all kinds of fetishes. Edwards had the shoe thing going. Edwards polished his shoes, I would say, on an average of 17 hours a day. All his waking hours, he's just sitting there with the shoe rag. Then he would go, Pdewey! He was like, I'll tell you, it's like Captain Ahab. He was always searching for the ultimate shine. He was always looking, you know, and it was always thought that if he ever reached that, that theoretical point where all light is reflected from his shoe. You follow me in physics? There is no light loss. That there was a rumor that if anybody was going to get to that point, it was going to be Edwards. And by the time we were discharged, Edwards would have one day reached the critical point when the light hitting his shoe would equal the light of the sun. And the whole damn company would blow up. There were theories. What would happen? See? <laughs> you know? And so he's working away. I'm sitting. Well, can you imagine? Now, now, now you know what kind of a life it was. Now, it wasn't a bad life. It was just a non-life. No, it wasn't bad. You get used to that. You know, it's like being in some kind of great big sea of vaguely melted caro syrup. And you just sort of float through it. And, you know, and you get so that all the things which, as a civilian, would irritate you. When you're in the Army, you just accept them as a matter of course. And so I can remember constantly, they'd have, a, they'd have an inspection, for example. Oh, yes, one of the, the typical things, whistle blows. It's two in the morning, you're asleep, and you hear, Wah! You go, Wah! Then you hear, in the darkness under the mosquito bar, you hear, Gasser. He goes, Wah! And you hear, Wah! Then you hear that voice out there. It's, it's Sergeant Kowalski. I'm not kidding. Sergeant Kowalski was a human shark. Kowalski's a little short, angry guy from Scranton. He might be listening tonight. You show up down here, Kowalski. I am among friends. This guy was a little... He was like a fire plug with feet. That about 15 Airedales have been around, you know? <laughs> Nasty, you know? And he was the kind of guy, little, you know how some kind of people who are particularly short, they get very, you know, very randy, very raunchy. 
And he's a little guy, see? And he's about that wide, little, and he's got his hat. He always wore this, this overseas type, well, you know, the kind of hat, the cloth cap, pulled right down here, tilted up. Had this big thing with the both tips sticking out. And he always wore, he always wore signal court tabs up here and green sunglasses. Green sunglasses. He would wear them when he was asleep, I guess. Although there was a rumor that that son of a gun never slept. And so Kowalski, at 3 o'clock in the morning, is blowing a whistle. I know you men's pulling out. Helmet liner. Raincoat and G.I. shoes. Fall out now. The doctor is on his way. And you can hear them coughing in the darkness as the doctor's working his way up. I mean, you don't even question this stuff in the Army. Just part of life, you know. I remember one time asking him, well, where do you think I've been? <laughs> Haven't been out of this hole for the last year and a half. He says, it's going on your record. <laughs> Wonder what she's thinking of. <laughs> and so, you know, these, these little things, you know, keep building up. And so you can imagine, you can seriously imagine just how a three-day pass away from this life would feel. I mean, you can't believe it. We'd see that pass. You could almost see three days of freedom hanging in the air. And so now it's 1130. They're blowing, they're blowing the bugle for chow. Now, if you think 1130 is early to eat lunch, remember, we've been up since quarter to four. That's when the day in Company K began, at quarter to four. Have you ever seen a movie where they showed breakfast in the Army? Boy, that's a sight. I'll never forget. It's, it's, it's tattooed in my mind. At, four, at 4.45, it's always cold. Even if you're on the, on the Amazon River. It's always cold. And it's always raining. And I can remember standing in a line with the rain coming down. Yeah, and the whole line is just falling off to sleep. And there's a corporal going along hitting you with a rubber truncheon. <laughs> Keep it moving, you guys. Keep it moving. You'd move forward, see, and you're getting that last two and a half milliseconds of sleep. You're milking it, see. Because sleep is the only thing that the private citizen owns. There is no rank in sleep. That when a general's asleep, is he a general? Does he see himself in his dreams saying, follow me? <laughs> I mean, when a PFC's asleep, does he see himself in his dreams as a general? No. He's always some kind of a civilian. <laughs> running over clouds. <laughs> 18 girls with him, you know, with, with great big gauzy things floating from him. So we're always milking that last millisecond of sleep. Our mess kids. Moving forward. And then you knew that sleep was over the minute you felt the weight of the powdered eggs on your shoe. Because in the darkness, you see, here is, a, here is a PFC who's back of the great big GI cans, 
and he's serving. He's also asleep. He's gone. You know, and you just keep moving by. The rain is coming down. Another great day is about to begin. The sun is peeking up over the power shed. The rain is coming down. And every once in a while, he would miss a guy. Guy just keeps walking by. And the sergeant, you know, the mess sergeant, will holler, hey, get that guy in the end there. Guy get it in the back of the net. Now, do you think Lawrence Olivier could play that scene? Let's hear it. I play a whole chow line. Speaking of SOS, that reminds me, what station is this? And what magnificent Babylonian city are we in tonight? Make a ring and add another ring and then another ring and then you've got three rings valentine and now it's premium it's a very special glass of beer ah that premium flavor valentine premium beer you just can't beat it premium ingredients premium brewed to give you a beer that tastes better in every way look for the three rings that stand for valentine premium it's a very special class of beer what a beer it looks so big and bright when you drink it down tastes so crisp and light valentine and now it's premium it's a very special class of beer it's a very special class of beer oh man that's valentine premium for you just one glass and you'll agree Valentine Premium is a very special glass of beer, man. Try it, and you'll understand what they're talking about. Let's get back to the big scene. <laughs> and somehow he keeps reaching in and pulling me out. In fact, you know, I, I, I thought I might just apply for permanent jury duty. You know, just go down there. It's so much trouble traveling back and forth. And so we're waiting in line. And now we're sitting, suspiciously. And, you know, we've got our, you know, our, me, our, our usual midday meal consisted of candied beets. Now, can you understand why the Army had this thing on candied beets? I, I, to this day, I can't eat a candied beet. That candied beets. And next to the candied beets would be this unidentifiable gray thing. <laughs> that was called the main course. It had paste over it. That's a little gray thing there. And then next to that is a chunk of GI bread. About that thick on one end. You've had that, hasn't it, fella? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's about that thick on one end. It gets real skinny on the other end. And it's got a seven-inch thick crust. And right in the middle of it is a little tiny, maybe a, 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 a kidney bean-shaped size of white bread. All around it is crust. So there you sit, you got your, you got your canteen cup. Now what, what they served in our outfit, we, ours was a tropical outfit. So we were served a special drink called the Purple Death. <laughs> yeah, it was fermented raisin Kool-Aid. Now don't ask me where they got it. <laughs> it was a Purple Death. Guys used to use it to write home with and everything. Make your tongue permanently yellow, you know. And we'd sit there with the purple death, 
and, and you know, even while you held it, how many of you have ever took chemistry? Well, I'll tell you, I, there are very few things that will oxidize aluminum. And we would sit there and you'd see the bubbles coming up, you know? There's a chemical reaction going on with this stuff. Yeah, we had, and whatever it was, I, I think only the signal corps got this because I can remember our first sergeant. Once in a while, I'd be on KP. You know, I'd be standing in the back of the mess hall, and the first sergeant would, you'd have all these little jobs. You know, most people think that KP consists of only one job, washing dishes. Oh, no, that's a good job. <laughs> you don't know what are some of the other ones. <laughs> like, for example, one day, you know, everybody used to want to get the dish thing. You know, that, that was called the China Clipper. Yeah, I call the China Clipper, see, because there were other terrible jobs. For example, the best job on KP was called the outside man. Now, the outside man was always a short, fat guy who came to the mess hall a good half hour before the rest of the KPs. So he could get that job. Now, the outside man consists, he'd just stand outside. No one ever knew what the outside man... I'm telling you, right, fellas? <laughs> I'm not making it up. The outside man would stand out there, see? I'm not making it up. <laughs> so everybody liked this, and you'd go past day after day, and you'd see an outside man just standing there. He's asleep. Some guys would sleep through their whole KP and just stay there all night. All the rest of the KPs are gone. He's still there. It's an outside man. But one of the worst jobs is what they called the back kitchen man. Oh, I remember one day I'm late for KP, see, and that, the last two guys always got it. And so I come running in. I've got my KP fatigues on. Now, every guy had two sets of fatigues. One set of fatigues was for wearing. The other set was for KP. And these had not been to the laundry in over two years. And they were fermented. Oh, yeah, I had a set of KP, uh, really, I had a set of KP fatigues that had moss under the arms. Had little twigs growing out of it. Oh, yeah, and you'd see it at night, it would move. And I'd lie in the sack next to it, and I'd hear it talking. Would talk to itself. Once in a while, it would get up and go over and visit Gasser's fatigues. God only knows what they did. I don't know. Not lighter, you know. And, and so now here, here is is a typical. Here's a typical back kitchen man. I'm I'm late. See, I come running up the steps of the mess hall, and already I can see in the back the guys on the china clipper. They're washing the first. You know, they're washing the mess sergeant's gigantic plate, on which the only steak that was issued to Company K would be eaten on. In fact, we got one steak a month, and the mess sergeant immediately took it, unwrapped it, and in front of all the KPs, ate it. It's prerogative of rank, you know, rank. So the KPs are back there watching the first cups, and I can see the outside man standing out there, and there's only me and Edwards. We're late. We come rushing up, and here's the sergeant, the cook. All right, you guys, Shepard, Edwards. Let's see what I can do with you today. Uh-huh. I got an idea. All right, you two guys, go on back 
back of the other side of the icebox and go into the storeroom. In the storeroom, you'll find on the floor something for you. Get at it. Okay? On the double move. Get the lead. You'll have to fill in the rest. So Edwards and I run in there, happy, you see, that we were going to get nothing less than this. And we run into this room, and there on the floor, you can't believe it. On the floor, the first time we'd ever seen anything like this in Company K. I mean, our food consisted of stuff that was always dried. I mean, it came in little sacks. Dried eggs, dried potatoes, I mean, dried Kool-Aid. And there on the floor, piled up, I mean, this high. Great, you can't believe it. 400 fresh chickens. With the feathers on. The feet sticking out. They all had eyes. I looked at those 400 chickens. And Edwards looked at those 400 Edwards was one of the, a true city man. He had never seen a chicken outside of a croquet. And the two of us looked at these chickens. And Edwards said, what are they? I says, chickens, Edwards. He says, chickens? I says, chickens. He says, what do you do with them? I says, I have a suspicion. <laughs> and instantly, the mess sergeant is in. He says, all right, you guys. I want them, I want them feathers off. I want you to unzip them. <laughs> remove what you find inside. And I want it all done by noon. Have you ever sat down with a friend of yours and shucked 400 chickens? I'll tell you, it is one of life's more edifying experiences. And we finally got the feathers off of them. And you know that each chicken, even though they had been dead for many, many months, each chicken complained. Feathers all over, see? We got this hot, great big can of hot water. We put each one in the hot water. You know, and each time they go in, they go, ah! Tear the feathers off. And now we've got all these naked chickens. And this, the mess sergeant comes in. He says, all right. He says, here. He tosses us a couple of great big toad stickers. Edwards has got one. I got the other. He says, now here, I want to show you what you do. The sergeant has a knife. So he says, watch, here's what you do. You go, blah, 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 boing. There, there it is. It looks like a real chicken now. You know, like the kind you see in cartoons, you know, with the little feet sticking out. Gee, how did he do it? He says, okay, now you do what I do and do it quick, 400 of them. And he says, then you guys can take a half an hour off before you get on those onions. At 400 pounds of onions going later for us to peel. So we started out to clean the chickens. Sat down, see, took a chicken. Well, I, first of all, did not know the chickens were made out of rubber. These were rubber chickens. I mean, they were hard as rock, so I take the knife and go. There's 400 of them piled up. Well, 20 minutes later, I finally make this jagged gash in a chicken. The stuff starts coming out. 
Edward says, what's that? I said, well, there's stuff in the chickens. He says, you mean this is in all chickens? He says, mine's sick. Look at it. I says, no, that's its liver. He says, that's liver. <sighs> Up to that point, you know, chicken liver he had liked. Now he realized where home base was. And so we worked all afternoon on these chickens. And that was the kind of job that the outside man missed. And so getting away from this company was like getting a reprieve from hell. And so we're waiting. We're waiting to see that list. And there it comes. Everybody crowds down there. And they're looking for their name on the list. And the way they did it was to, was to publish the names of the guys who were assigned to duty. So you didn't want to see your name on that list. And I rushed down. I said, oh boy, well, guess whose name? Like Abu Ben Adam. Led all the rest. To be assigned to duty over the coming holiday, Shepherd JP, PFC, 16098946, Gasser, Edwards, Zinsmeister. You turn away, and you can hear the rest of the guys hollering, Whoopee! Hooray! You know, Hooray! You want to kill them. You know, what is there to be thankful about? And so, Thanksgiving Day dawned bright and early. And there was a special order out that day. Now, this is the way they worked Thanksgiving in the Army. A special order came out the night before. And it said, all men in this command who are assigned to Thanksgiving Day duty in the camp will be allowed to sleep until 8 a.m. Oh, you sleep till 8 o'clock in the morning. Do you know what this means? I mean, for years it had been 4.15. And so now 4.15 strikes. But you see, the army is a creature of habit. I mean, so 4.15, which should have gone by quietly, you hear... You wake up. You automatically start putting on your fatigues. And then Gasser says, hey, we can sleep till eight. And sure enough, we sank back on our sacks and laid there, and we couldn't sleep. We couldn't sleep. We just lay there and tossed you. You get up. Gee whiz, my bunk must have pulled your bunk. Isn't this great, Gasser? Yeah. Hey, Edwards, how about you? Yeah. But for three and a half hours, we just lay there, staring up. The sun now arches high over Company K. It is Thanksgiving Day. And so we go out now, we stand our, our little company roll call, 8.30 in the morning. Sergeant Kowalski's out there, that rotten sergeant. He walks up and down in front of us. He's got suntans on now, see. He's dressed up. He said, men, today, even though one thought of you has to be here in a camp, 
don't. It ain't no skin off my you-know-what. I don't want nobody to think that I'm going to play no favorites here. And I want one thing for you to remember. This is the best damn company in the whole damn army, right? <laughs> right. That's right. And then Edwards next to me says, I wonder what the rest of the army is like if that's true. <laughs> you know, there's another side to the story. And then Kowalski said, and this is where the bomb hit. He said, man, Lieutenant Jerry and I have decided that we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving here in Company K. And I want all of you guys to dress up in your Class A's. Get off them fatigues, put on your Class A's, and today at noon we will begin to celebrate Thanksgiving. All right, Corporal, dismiss the men's. And that corporal stands up there. We had this little red-haired corporal from Nashville who is Kowalski's understudy. He was working in that field, you know. He said, all right, attention! At ease! Attention! Dismissed! He just liked to see his quote down. <laughs> you know, he played with us there a little bit. And so we split, you know. We go back to our, we go back to our tents, and there's Gasser and Edwards. And Gasser says, well, what, is, what does this look like? That's what we're going to celebrate. Says, well, I guess as long as we're here, we might as well make the best of it. And so we started to get dressed. Now, perhaps you people who've never been in the Army don't know the luxury of getting dressed in a clean pair of suntans. I mean, where you've been, you know, for weeks, you've been taking a shower with a little can of water over your head. You know, and, and every, every GI keeps one pair of suntans in reserve. Now, the suntans are the khaki uniforms, and those are kept in reserve for big moments. And so we've got our beautiful new suntans on, all sharp, little hat. It's now about, oh, 10 o'clock in the morning. You know that feeling on Sunday when you're a kid and you're all dressed up? And two hours later, you're supposed to go visit your grandmother, and you're told to keep clean, and don't play, don't do nothing, just stand over by the refrigerator. You know that feeling of standing around, all dressed up. You see, you know, you see your kid brother, and he's all dressed up. Well, all of Company K stood around, see. Now, we're assigned to duty, but there's no duty today. We're all dressed up, our ties. Walk around. There are our tents sitting there, you know. The sun is high. And we're waiting for 12. Time dragged. And then at 5 minutes to 12, that bugle blew. That is the chow call. And so we all lined up. Into the mess hall we go. And they've got tablecloths. Somewhere, Sergeant Kowalski has got white tablecloths. All dressed up, we felt you know, that feeling of being foreign. You don't belong here, walked in. And there are the KPs, and they're wearing class A's. They're walking around with trays. We sit down. And each one of us has got a new, clean mess kit. We had no crockery in this company. We each had a new mess kit sitting there. 
were waiting for food. And then suddenly, from out behind the mess hall, came Sergeant Kowalski with Lieutenant Cherry. And they've got a great big tureen. Kowalski comes out and he says, Happy Thanksgiving, you guys. We're sitting. He says, I said, Happy Thanksgiving. You're going to have a happy Thanksgiving, right? I said, you're going to be happy. <laughs> right. And then he opened up the tureen. Big flourish. And it is a turkey. It is a great big turkey made out of S.O.S. <laughs> they had molded it. Kowalski says, all right, KPs, serve the turkey. Isn't it great we got a turkey, fellas? <laughs> so they served each one of us, little SOS, with little cranberries on the side, and they broke out the mixed nuts. We sat there for a while, and then out of the back came the corporal, and he's dressed as a pilgrim. So help me, I'm not kidding you. This is a little pageant in the Army. They made a little, you know, out of black paper. He's got a little pilgrim hat. He comes out with an M1. You know how pilgrims always carry guns? <laughs> he's got this M1, you know, and he's got a bandolier with the clips hanging all over him. And he says, Happy Thanksgiving. And now let's all give a moment of prayer, men, for all the things that we got to be thankful for. And I've called out the chaplain from, from the 4th Battalion, and he's come down to lead you in prayers. And the chaplain walks in. And incidentally, the chaplain was a mythological figure. <laughs> right? In fact, all through the Army, there was a word of advice given about chaplains. Whenever you were in trouble, somebody says, go tell it to the chaplain. Well, I remember the time I tried it. You know, I, I, I had a lot of hang-ups, you know, I wanted to get out for a couple of weeks. And this has been going on for a year, and I went down and I, I went in to see this chaplain. And in the front of the tent, there was always this guy who was called the chaplain's assistant. He was a tall, thin guy with rimless glasses. You know, that kind that looks like somehow they have been directly hooked into the word from birth. And he's standing there at the tent, and I walk up and I said, uh, I want to see the chaplain. I tried to cry, see. I want to see the chaplain. He says, what for? Well, I want to see him. It's a personal problem. He says, well, the chaplain will see you in 10 minutes, but it's got to be important. So it's, it's important. It's important. Oh, God, this is important. You know, this chick that I'd been going with back home, there was a little suspicious note creeping into her letters. And I wanted to check, you know, hide in the bushes outside of her house and see if what I thought was happening was happening. But I couldn't tell him that. You know, I told him my mother's wooden leg was sprouting. <laughs> a lot of trouble, you know, and I had to get home and the garage was falling down. My old man's gas tank had a leak in it. I had to help him fix the valves on the olds. You know, it's a terrible moment. And I finally get in to see the chaplain. And he's sitting there. 
Very official. He's got this round face. He looked like a disenfranchised dentist. <laughs> you know, he had these big, big rimless glasses, and he's sitting there waiting for me. And out in the front of the tent, the corporal, who was the chaplain's assistant, began to play on what they called an M2 folding model field organ. You ever seen one of those? You can get them on the surplus market. They fold up, you know? And they're, they're GI colored, and he's out there playing, you know, something like da 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 Something very pious, maybe bringing in the sheaves. That's always a good one. He's playing away, and I walk into the chaplain. The chaplain, remember, is a captain. Don't forget that. I am a yardbird. I am so far down that they wouldn't even let me snipe butts. So I come in, salute, sir, I have permission to see the chaplain, sir. And he's sitting there, his bar is shining. He looks up and he says, yes. You know how the chaplain sound. And I said, sir, I have permission to see the chaplain, sir, on a personal problem problem of greatest import to myself. He says, attention, private. <laughs> Somehow, you know, I could see things were going downhill. He says, attention. I says, yes, sir. He says, give your name, rank, and serial number. Uh, I couldn't remember my name. I mean, when you're looking at God, you don't remember a lot of stuff. I said, uh, uh, oh, yes, yes, <laughs> Shepard, JP, 160989946, PVT. Yes, sir, company K, sir. Be seated. <laughs> well, he was the kind, you know, that had this vast thorax cavity. I mean, he was used to berating an enormous congregation of sinners. And you could just hear, he had that kind of voice, you know, that always says, God. That's a special word, God. <laughs> and so he said, very official type, you know. And I sit there and I said, uh, may I tell tell a chaplain my personal problem, sir? He says, of course, that's what I am here for. And I am sure that that God in his infinite wisdom will see fit to give me the proper solution to your problems. <laughs> I had no idea God somehow was looking down on Company K. I mean, you know, I said, Chaplain, Chaplain, no. I, I, I gotta get home, see, uh, Well, my, my father's a drinker. My poor dad. My father's a drinker. And he fell down the stairs the other day. And he knocked over all the jars that my mother canned of tomatoes. Down to the basement. Oh, and he broke them all. And now my, my family say, I'm ad-libbing. I can't think what to say. I can't say, I got to go home and see whether my chick is swinging with that guy next door. You know, my, my dad knocked over the tomatoes 
and now my family's got no tomatoes to eat all winter. And my mother needs me to come home and help her can some more tomatoes. My father's drunk, and he can't can the tomatoes. But uh, we need tomatoes. And, um, and oh, yes, uh, my father, because he's drunk all the time, and, he, you know, they're rationing gas back there. They can't get no gas in this Oldsmobile needs the valves ground. And he's drunk and he can't grind the valves. And it's burning too much gas. And he can't get no other coupons and he wants me to help him grind the valves. And the this chaplain is looking. Yes. I can see that that is a difficult problem. I said, yeah. You don't know my family. My dad, yes, my dad beats my mother, too, see? And, and, and my mother says, if I don't get home pretty soon, that uh, my dad is going to beat her, and uh, I just better get home. And, you know, it's so terrible. My dad never laid a hand on my mother in his whole life. And the only thing my dad ever drank was pickle juice. He used to love to drink pickle juice at night, you know? Once in a while, a can of beer. And if there was anything my mother hated, it was canned tomatoes. She broke out in a rash, just thinking of them. But I'm ad-libbing. You know how it is, you wide. You know that old slogan, when, when we decide, what is it? When we, yes, when we, when we set a course to deceive. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. And I had, you know, I had woven this fantastic web. My old man is a drunker. He keeps falling down the stairs and breaking the tomatoes. My mother's got a bad leg. It's a wooden leg, and it's got twigs growing out of it. And so I'm waiting, see? And I'm, I'm so hungry. And, and I thought I was going to get the pass. Two weeks. When all of a sudden, the chaplain said to me, God, in his infinite wisdom, has given me the solution to your program. I realize that your problem is one of infinite difficulties. And I have just one word of advice. Why don't you go and get your card punched? The chaplain was telling me to get my chaplain card punched. He was telling me to take my TS card and get it punched at the chaplain. And then it suddenly occurred to me that even chaplains go someplace to tell it to the chaplain. And the chaplain looks at him and says, well, that's tough, Jack. That's tough. Why don't you get your card punched? And it was that moment that I had this great revelation that no matter where you go, there is always somebody above you. And as you get above him, there's somebody above him. And that ultimately, when you get up finally before that great bar of justice and you look down and you think you've been a sinner, and the great, the great judge looks at you and says, no, nope, you're going to heaven. You're going to feel cheated. Because you wonder what the other ones did that you missed. So let's give the sinners a hand out there. Out there in the darkness. And we'll be back next.